there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in breaking into consulting, especially in the tech space, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is currently a strategy and analytics program analyst at LinkedIn, which is actually part of a special two-year competitive training program in which the people in the program are actually consultants to LinkedIn. But before I introduce you to Zane Hamzi, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays to give you an exclusive window into the episodes and the professions that we're going to be featuring that week. And that way you're going to get a heads up on the super interesting professionals that I interview each week. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time4coffee.org and the sign up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Zane Hamzi, a strategy and analytics program analyst at LinkedIn. He's also a co-founder of Students Plus, which is a wonderful platform that describes itself as the go-to place for students navigating the job search in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Its page on LinkedIn features resources, career guidance templates, and live events with career experts where you can get your questions answered. Zane only graduated from the University of Virginia in May 2019, and while he was still in school, he secured super competitive internships at companies including Capital One, where he worked doing product strategy and analytics, as well as at J.P. Morgan Asset Management, where he worked as a banking analyst in the private bank's Executive Wealth and Foundations Group. Zane, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Yes, very much so. I'm probably on my second cup of the day, but yes, we are ready to go. Nice. Well, we should also let our listeners know that it's still the morning there in California. Where are you? Are you in LA? I'm in San Francisco right now. Nice. So exactly. it's around 10, 15 in the morning. So I guess it's right kind on. of reasonable that you're on your second cup. I am yep. so excited to talk to you, Zane. You are such an impressive young man and you have so much insight for someone who is only a year out of school. So let's dive into the 10 espresso shots. The first one being what entry level jobs are available to young people like you who want to break into the consulting in tech space? For sure. And also, that is just about hands down the most kind introduction I think I've ever gotten. Usually, it's just Zane from Virginia or when I'm in Virginia, it's Zane from California. But anyways, to answer your question, for those students that are trying to break into the tech industry, a lot of large tech companies have sort of rotational programs that you can apply to straight out of school that let you try out 
not only different job functions, but also different industries within tech, right? So some of the companies that are coming to mind are LinkedIn, Visa, Google, Capital One, Facebook, Twitter. The list kind of goes on and on from there. But so there are entry level positions there. Secondly, to break into tech, some students might also choose to work at a consulting company or a bank for a period of time first. And then after they've satisfied their term or contract with the bank or the consultancy that they work for, we'll, we'll interview and join a little later. The third category is kind of what I call the wild card, which is truly the thing about tech is there is no one path to get into it. And no student should feel discouraged from wanting to get into it for seeming like they don't have the right background. So, you know, that just goes to say you could work truly wherever and, and make a case for why you'd be a good candidate to break in. Sweet. Okay. I'm also wondering, Zane, if it isn't possible, and I'm saying this because I have interviewed a young woman who's currently working at Facebook as a threat intelligence analyst, and she started working actually for one of the big consulting companies. and. Yeah through one of their rotational programs just happened to land in the tech space. Yeah, it's pretty common. You'll see that folks that, you know, finish up their time in consulting leverage the clients that they've worked with through their job at the consultancy as a means of seeing if that industry and working in-house is something that's interesting to them. So it's definitely no surprise. And if anything, I think that's sort of an incredibly good example to provide as someone that made a, a career shift after consulting towards tech. Nice. So the next espresso shot is actually for people who are farther along in their careers, but I don't want to discount the fact that you have probably managed people in some way, shape, or form from the time you were in college to today or in different internship capacities, and frankly, have just picked it up from being in so many different company environments. What do you think is a useful hard and soft skill that either you've looked for in the people that you've hired or the people that you've teamed up with or that you think hiring managers are looking for in the consulting and tech space? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'll definitely speak more from having been on sort of the other side of recruiting now at LinkedIn and meeting with students over the course of the last year. But in terms of hard skills, I think the two that really come to mind are one is problem segmentation. And by that, I mean the ability to take an ambiguous problem and to decompose it into its individual moving parts. The second is what I kind of call, or people at LinkedIn call systems thinking, which is the ability to systematically go through sort of like a decision tree and understand how given impacts or given actions might impact things down the line. So those are my two hard skills for you. Nice. Soft skills. The first is integrity, doing what is right. And I think while that sounds super grandiose, integrity comes about even in terms of the way you approach a problem and not taking a shortcut. So that's the first one. And then the second one is I think the growth mindset is the other really big one, right? Like you roll with the punches just because you get a little scuffed up while you're working doesn't mean that it's discouraging and you kind of look at feedback and criticism as your golden ticket to becoming your better self. 
So those are my two. Love them. And actually, we're going to dig into this more in the meantime for Coffee Interview. And folks should just check out show notes to see if that has already dropped. But using in something that you shared with me, it was a, a letter or an application or whatever it was that you shared. You talked about your blue collar grit and your white collar drive, which I think speaks very much to the growth mindset. Yeah, it, that was a, a phrase that I had thrown around a little bit when I was still recruiting in college. But the thing I kind of took from that was more that I think I was the benefactor of sort of my mom and dad's different life experiences coming from me and the fact that they instilled sort of that grit and that sense of not giving up earlier on. And then in terms of the drive piece, I think that more just came from slowly but surely figuring out what career company and really job was going to make me excited to wake up and do that job, which, you know, I think panned out in the internships and placement to LinkedIn. But yeah. Nice. Well, we should also let our listeners know, I am first gen on my dad's side and you are first gen, I think on both sides. Is that right? I'm on my dad's side. So my dad was born in Syria and immigrated to the United States in the 80s. But my mom has had family here for a little while. Yeah, that's right. That's actually very similar to my family story. And I do think being a first gen because of the appreciation that our parents have instilled in us for the opportunities that this country can offer, at least in my case, I'm guessing same as on your side, Zane, Mm -hmm. that our work ethic is pretty intense. Yeah, it was more just... You know, there was never an instance when I was growing up or reaching those like critical milestones of, you know, turning in my first midterm or like, you know, coming back home after the SAT or like whatever the case was. And I was getting through these critical junctures where I'd come back and have a conversation with my mom and dad and kind of just remember that the option set that is afforded to me just by being in this country was bigger than really my my dad certainly could have ever imagined when he was growing up. And so I think it's exciting to look at those and think to myself, okay, in the 24 hours of the day, however long I get to live kind of thing, which of those opportunities do I want to start chasing? And like, how hard am I willing to run? Love it. Zane, is someone's major a deciding factor to get into the consulting in tech space? In other words, if they haven't studied business, finance, whatever. Yep. Is it a deal breaker? So I'm actually really glad you asked this question. Reason being is because I'll kind of offer up an alternative way to think about a major in college. Truly, when someone is reading over, let's say, a student's application or resume or something like that, they're going to be looking for signals that tell someone what this person's expertise is. Right. And so when we look at the major, it really serves two purposes. One, I think it shows not only a topical expertise, but a functional expertise. And so by that, I mean, let's take the English major, for instance. I would imagine if someone has an English major, they've got a topical expertise in literature, right? Like poems, books, the essays, what have you. And then they also have a functional expertise in framing, description, empathy, storytelling. And so when you decompose a major and look at it, what is your functional and topical expertise? You kind of realize that really any major can 
be applicable to both the consulting space and as well in tech on account that really what we're looking for is people who have a certain set of skills or aptitudes. And you can get those not only from your major, but any number of other places. So it it really doesn't truly matter. Okay. I am giving you a double high five across the airways (laughs) right now, Zane, because what you've landed on already is what took me, I have to say, I mean, I've done hundreds of interviews now. It probably took me close to 100 interviews to land on this way of describing it and tell me if it resonates with you. Rather than thinking of your major as the tiny house that you're going to be forced to live in for the rest of your professional life, think of it as the foundation of a professional skyscraper that you're going to be building over the course of your career with each new job and each new career adding a new floor in that skyscraper. It's a great metaphor. It's a really good metaphor. I mean, if if you think about it, I, I used to not really appreciate the answer of why did you major in something? Oh, I thought it was interesting until I realized that's just about really the most important answer is were you interested in what you studied? I hope so because you spent a lot of time in that area. So I think the skyscraper metaphor is a really effective one. Well, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I think then the short answer to my question is if you want to get into consulting in tech, no, your major doesn't matter. Correct which is incredible. So next question is about grad school degrees. And this is less so for the folks who are in the first couple of years entry-level position category, more so, Zane, for someone who wants to make it into the C-suite, who maybe wants to run their own company or whatever it is. How important is it to have a grad school degree? And if so, what do you think the most useful ones to have are? Yep, for sure. So I'll limit my answer on this one to be tech, mostly just given that's kind of where my present knowledge is. Mm-hmm. Truthfully, like on aggregate, I really don't think you need a graduate degree. And the only place that I really see them come up really are those individuals that had some sort of career prior to wanting to get into tech. And then we'll use a graduate degree as a means to pivot their career and try something new. The degree specifically I'm thinking of is the MBA. And you actually see that a lot of time as a consultant, go to graduate business school and then join tech afterwards. But that's the one thing. I mean, for example, like the current CEO of LinkedIn, Ryan Roslansky, didn't even finish undergrad. He just got right to his career right away, which I think is indicative of a lot of the ethos sort of like of the valley. But the second time that I see graduate degrees come up a lot are really these like hyper-specialized sort of MS degrees in a way that are incredibly focused. So I'm thinking masters of marketing, masters in finance, masters in business analytics or engineering, things like this. Mm -hmm. And really the only time I see those come about is when a professional, again, wants to acquire some sort of skills or knowledge. And for whatever reason getting a degree was the most effective means to do that, right? I think of individuals that I work with that like want to become more technical, right? And get into analysis. They can pick that up on the job and take on new projects that get them there. But if that's not an option, maybe a graduate degree makes sense for them. Yeah. And I know because... Not required. Not required. That's great. I know because I've watched some of the interviews you've done with guests at Students Plus, and I believe... I actually, it may have been one of your colleagues. I'm not sure if it was you or one of your colleagues, but one of the things that came up was whether or not it's valuable 
to do these online certificates and how useful they can be. Totally. I mean, just like the major, right? It's what signals do you want to send to the person evaluating you? And so I have seen instances in which people will do a number of these like online certificates. And truthfully, there's an argument to be made that these online certificates, because they're so much more specific, might even just be a better return on the time you spend doing them. And so I think that before you kind of decide you want to take on that body of work, it's important to sit down with yourself and think, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is this the most effective means to do so or acquire that skill? And then if so, I think you should just, you know, lead with conviction and go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just the body of work that you'd be taking on, of course, but hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, most likely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing more than certificates, but yes. Yeah, for sure. What kind of life experiences do you think are most useful for someone starting out in this field? And by life experiences, I'm thinking outside the classroom. Yeah, for sure. I've got a couple for you. The first is build something yourself, whether that is a club at school or a project or even some sort of... Honestly, project is probably the better way to describe that. But the process of building something yourself, I think, teaches you a lot about the types of problems you like to solve, your approach towards handling new things, where you get energy from, and is a great story that you can share with other people so that they can get an understanding of the kind of person you are. So that's one. Second, defending an opinion. And chose my words carefully there because I don't mean get defensive about an opinion. I mean, truly defend an opinion. And by that, I mean, do some research, have a thought, and be able to back it up with facts and logic and reason and be put in a situation where you kind of do have to maybe persuade someone or share that opinion with someone. I think you learn a lot about sort of your professional confidence by going through that. I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say, are you thinking maybe by joining a debate club or getting involved in some kind of team, and I'm not thinking sports, but team activity in which you're going to be kind of pushing and pulling and trying to get something across the finish line that's going to require a lot of persuasive speaking. I don't even think it needs to be that official, truly. I like It could be as simple as someone listening to this podcast and thinking to themselves, okay, I just heard what was said and if they wanted to go for it, could say, okay, I want to form an opinion on whether like the Uber and Lyft business model of ride sharing is going to work or not. And you would read the articles and watch interviews and just really like nerd out on a given topic such that when that topic comes up, you've got a very informed opinion that you can share with someone else that demonstrates that you were thorough in developing your understanding. And it shows that you were entertaining sort of like a higher level understanding of, you know, a given headline. That's what I mean. Okay. Are those like the case studies that you posted? Case studies are, are, are one way to do it. I find those are more good sort of like mental workouts you can do to get stronger your ability to solve problems. And we can we can double click into that a little later if, if you want to go that direction, happy to. But I'm thinking more it's just so critical that students especially and candidates looking to make like a career switch, I feel, learn how to just effectively structure an opinion and can discourse on the topic. Nice. Okay. Zane, what is the best part for you of being at LinkedIn and being a strategy and analytics program analyst? Sure. So 
this one was kind of a head scratcher. And the one I came to really I'm thinking is sort of the the term I, I use called like title jumping. And by that, I mean, I had a call with someone sort of senior at LinkedIn where they said, you know, we didn't hire you to be quiet. We hired you to think and speak. And so really, I've been in instances where I'm meeting with someone very significantly my senior. And the fact that I'm an analyst really doesn't matter when it comes to sharing my opinion, right? If it is in LinkedIn's best interest, if it's in the company's or if it's in the team's best interest, and it's an informed opinion, it's one that I should feel like welcome sharing. And I think the fact that my voice and opinion has been valued, I mean, literally out of the gates was something I definitely am not taking for granted and something I very much have to thank sort of like the company for. That's amazing. Is it intimidating as well? Oh, totally. I mean, it's, <laughs> yes. it's, it's, it's especially if you're coming from different companies prior to like joining LinkedIn in my case, where that was not the case, right? Where maybe like titles mattered a little more, or there was some sort of barrier in terms of like how far your voice could go. Developing the muscle of being able to sort of like speak up and to share definitely was probably one of the earliest learnings I realized I kind of had to get better at, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with over the course of their careers is Mm -hmm. speaking up in a way in which it's not just to hear your own voice, but actually to make a thoughtful point, suggestion, pushback, whatever it is, to make sure that it matters. Well, you know what else too is when you think about it, if you're working on a project or a team or something like that, the super senior person isn't the person who's sitting in the weeds looking for the answer, trying to piece together a story, diagnose what's going on. It's the most junior person, right? Because that work just filters to the bottom. Yep. And so when you think about it, when you are the person who spent as much time, again, using that metaphor, in the weeds looking for the problem, you effectively are the subject matter expert on that area that you've been focusing on. And when you realize that you are literally the only person in the room who harbors that information, it is in your best interest and the team's interest for you to share that when you feel appropriate. Oh, that is such a great way of describing it. And when you realize that, like that for me was probably the biggest, the minute I realized that is the minute the mental block was gone. So yeah, that's what I'd recommend to leave in, in the thoughts. What for you, Zane, is the part of your current job that sucks the most? It probably has to do with the timelines I'm working with and how long they are. And the reason I say that is because like when you're in college, your feedback cycle is just incredibly rapid, right? It's like, take the test, you know, get the grade, take the next test, get the GPA, get the internship, get the return offer. And like all your feedback milestones, either in the classroom or professionally or whatever, are like at max two months apart. And that is not the case in the working world as I've kind of realized it, right? It's you don't get such quick feedback of if you're doing well, or if you're moving in the right direction. And so it's not necessarily a part that sucks necessarily so much as it is just kind of, I guess, like the growing pains of becoming a professional that I feel I'm probably just scratching the surface of. Mm, That's interesting. And I think it depends on the company. Because some companies, especially with new hires, will put them on a much tighter feedback loop 
where every couple of months you sit down with your supervisor or you may even have weekly check-ins, weekly one-on-ones where you can get that kind of feedback. And frankly, I would encourage our young listeners who are in the working world, if they're not getting enough feedback, be proactive about it. Ask for it. Yeah, it's funny. I actually had a, my manager at Capital One was named Jamie Nettles. And he even shared at the end of my summer, he was like, Zane, the fact that you would ask for feedback in your first week on the job was kind of a signal that the, the working relationship was going to go really well. And so I think whether or not there's feedback to receive in your first couple of days on the job, even sharing that that's an area of interest and concern for you, I think shows that you really are being thoughtful about your career. So I agree. I think that's great advice. So three final espresso shots. Let's do it. <laughs> you ready? Ready. What is the best career advice that you've ever gotten, Zane? Zero hesitation on this one. Both of them came from my summer at JP Morgan. The first came from an individual named Alex Gaillard, who was the vice president at the time, who said, treat your manager like a client. And he went on to say that you can have the right idea. You can have done all the right work, absolutely crushed the hard part of the job. But if you show it and you're not composed when you're showing it to your manager you will not be doing yourself any service. And it's just so critical to be composed and really like embody the confidence that your hard work deserves. And like I heard that advice and it has worked wonders for my working relationships with like my managers and higher ups since then. Can I just uh, ask a question about that? Because when you say if you're not composed, does that mean if you don't exude self-confidence without being snotty about it or fully yourself? Or how would you characterize the vibe that you want to be giving your manager? Yeah, I think the easiest thing is to just throw on the imagination hat. And this is exactly how Alex described it to the interns in the room. But imagine that you are running five minutes late to a meeting with a client, right? You could do one of two things. You could either rush and like run, run, run. And there's sweat dripping down your forehead and you're nervous and you're apologetic and you're trying to justify like your lateness or you get to the client, right? And before you enter the room or before you talk to that person, you take literally 60 seconds to catch a few deep breaths to like calm yourself, like throw a smile on for 20 seconds or whatever. And then meet the client afterwards and you're composed and it doesn't look like you're just like rushing through your day. Does one minute of difference that it takes to get composed make a difference to the client size? I would argue probably not. And that minute actually is so critical in making sure that encounter is going to go as well as it possibly could. Great advice. Love it. Did we want to go to the next shot or the second? No, no, no. I was going to say the second half of your answer there. Oh, yeah. Happy to. So this came from a managing director also at the bank named Steve, who shared that it's so important to be great at the not so glamorous parts of the job. And his advice there was, as it is with every job, you know, there are the super attractive, really exciting parts that everyone gets excited about. But the thing that distinguishes great junior talent from not so great junior talent are the people who have the right attitude when it comes towards doing just being candid, like the boring parts of the job. The shit work. Yeah, exactly right. And I think having the right attitude while you're going through it just speaks volumes. And you'll find that the minute you do that, that will be an incredibly good piece of feedback that I hope your manager will share with you sooner rather than later. A hundred 
1%. I cannot tell you how many, whether it's interns or other young people who've worked with me, set themselves apart when they pay attention to the details. I think that mm-hmm. is amazing advice, Zane. Thank you so much for sharing it. Of course. Two final espresso shots. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Amazon, Hulu shows, or any streaming shows for that matter, or books do you think accurately depict your profession? Yeah. So I was also kind of scratching my head over this one. I'm like a creature of habit when it comes to shows. I mean, I've watched The Office all the way through, probably north of 25 times in my life. (laughs) That is too much. Oh my God. And so... I ended up landing on the show New Girl, which is also a personal favorite. But the reason I bring up that show is because when I think about my job in like the simplest terms, a couple values just bubble up. That's like growth, humor, persistence, relationships. And I mean, that is exactly New Girl, right? Like characters grow so much throughout the entire show. It's laugh out loud funny. And I'd be lying if I said on the job, you didn't have to laugh at yourself sometimes. Oh, yeah. Uh, So that's one persistence. I mean, if you watch the show and not to give any spoilers, but Schmidt's passion in his relationship with CC definitely sticks out and you have to be persistent on the job of weathering kind of, you know, annoying pieces of analysis or whatever. And then relationships. I mean, and I meant to say this earlier in in the podcast, but I think I've been incredibly lucky in my career so far and the life experiences that I've had, but it truly would be for nothing without the kindness of people that were strangers at one point kind of taking a gamble on me and believing in me. And so when you think about the idea of like relationships, not like romantic in this sense, but many you realize like how much you have to thank other people for helping you like realize your best self is huge. And so I think relationships matter a ton on the job and they matter a ton in that show. Love it. Thank you. Well, I actually have never watched New Girl, but I think I'm going to watch it as a result of this recommendation. And we'll make sure to include a link in show notes. What I wouldn't give to watch that show for the first time over again. I'm so jealous of you. (laughs) Well, I'll let you know. I'll let you know what I think. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Final espresso shot. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about this profession, Zane? Sure. So... Probably, and this might be uh, not so happy surprise at the surface level, but it's probably how thorough the work is. And by that, I mean, you could go weeks, if not months, working on a project and recommend something. And whoever is the decision maker in the room might only adopt maybe like 10 to 20% of your recommendation. And it's not to say that the remaining 80% had gone to waste. But it just shows that if you're working on things that move the needle, you need to be super granular about everything. And chances are not everything gets across the finish line. So that was a little bit of like a a rude awakening. But the more I've kind of like sat with it, the minute I kind of realized, wow, it's pretty incredible that that much work goes into doing the smallest thing because it shows that nothing is an accident. Well, I think that makes it all the more remarkable that the several months that you spent interning at Capital One actually did deliver impact. That's right. Right? Because you were working on getting the first hotel transfer partnership for Capital One. And it happened in like the last three months, I think, February 3rd, 2020. The analytics that you did and the recommendations that you made to develop a partnership with Wyndham Hotels was locked in. Yeah, I think, well, A, it's 
incredibly kind of you to mention. But yeah, I think they had one hotel transfer partner this summer I was there and I was working on a project that was thinking about who are the next set of companies Capital One should look into to partner with. And Wyndham was on my shortlist. It was like one of four places that I had recommended. And Capital One's got an incredible team working in that area. And it it really was super exciting to like read that headline and remember the work that I had done. But also just like a huge kudos to that team for making like the Capital One Rewards ecosystem super compelling and customers first. So huge hats off to them. I just want our young listeners to like transcribe Zane's answer (laughs) to the compliment that I just gave him. Because he has already learned a lesson that it took me 20 years to learn. And that is when you are getting complimented, deflect the credit elsewhere because that is going to engender so much goodwill. And I'm not saying that's why Zane did it, but I am saying you, if you model what he did when you get complimented, oh my goodness, your career is going to go up like a rocket ship. Zane, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. You are, I truly mean this, a total rock star. And it has been such a pleasure to get to share your wisdom with my young audience. Incredibly kind of you. Thank you so much for having me. And if you're listening to this and ever want to chat, careers, whatever's on your mind, feel free to connect on LinkedIn. We'd love to engage with you guys on there. I had a blast chatting today. Thanks for making my day. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.